You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah, peace be upon you, and welcome to another episode of the Drive Time Show at Voice of Islam UK. It is today, Tuesday, the 30th of um, August 2022, and it's four past four. Myself, Zakaria, I will be with you for the upcoming two hours, God willing. In today's show, we will be speaking about two very important and very interesting topics. Uh, The first hour, the topic that we will be discussing is about blood cancer and the awareness um, about it. Um, You know, many people don't, might not know what causes blood cancer, what it is, um, why we should have an awareness about this and how we can prevent having this or how we can cure it from an early stage. So this is something that we will be um, discussing and uh, we have great guests for the first hour as well. Um, We have uh, uh, Charlotte Martin, the patient advocacy advocacy officer of Leukemia UK. We have uh, Professor Alex Tongs. We have Professor Alex. um, uh, We have Mort Fertile as well. And Tanya. um, So all these guests we will be uh, getting and and we'll be getting their um, uh, um, answers and um, in the first hour, uh, God willing. And uh, in the second hour, our topic will be slightly different. Um, it will be about um, our marriages. So the marriage, is it something which is a better for the society or something which is worse? What, what does marriage mean to every single person? What does it mean in Islam? Um, is it, does it benefit uh, the family, the society. So these are the two topics that we will be discussing in these uh, two hours. Um, if you want to contact us, if you want to get in touch, you can always call us at 020-8687-7878. You can also uh, visit our website, voiceofislam.co.uk, where you can find different uh, you know, topics to listen to and um uh, you can also go to our SoundCloud, voiceislam.co.uk. Um, also, in the um, uh, the social media platform, you can find us at uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, um, at Voice of Islam UK. So, blood cancer is a very important topic to discuss because so many people they have it and most of the time they uh, you know they don't realize it uh, until they they actually they've been affected of this and and it's already too late because we don't know uh, how we got it what the symptoms were and and it was just something that uh, you know we were not attentive of but this is something which is very important and i will be telling you uh, how much, how many people it get? So this month, as in the the upcoming month, September, is uh, the Blood Cancer Awareness Month. It's known that every hundred and eighty seconds, someone is diagnosed with blood cancer. So, you know that is 
um, you know, two, three minutes, right? So every two, three minutes, we, uh, three minutes rather, uh, someone is diagnosed with blood cancer. So the amount of people who, who get blood cancer is a lot. And more than a million people are diagnosed with blood cancer worldwide annually. So there is still a relatively low awareness of what blood cancer is. We know that people with blood cancer have the best chance of surviving and living well when they're diagnosed quickly and they are treated with the best medicines. Now, it will be our small effort to spread our awareness today and we'd like to discuss with our listeners today what blood cancer really is, what the symptoms to look out for, how you can help spread awareness and how Islam enjoins its followers to cope with the illness of cancer. In the Holy Quran, in chapter 2, verse number 46 to 47, God Almighty states that, And seek help with patience and prayer. And this indeed is hard, except for the humble in spirit, who know for certain that they will meet their Lord, and that to Him will they return. Remember, in Islam, we are taught to have patience for all the difficulties. And when we are going through difficulties, we should pray and seek help from God Almighty. He is the one who can cure. He is the cure of all the diseases. He's the one who can provide. And eventually you have to remember that this, this prayer, this, this patience will help in the hereafter as well. So the pain that you go through, this, this God Almighty sees that as well. And if you have this patience, God will be with you. So have this patience and when, when you have it and when you can turn towards God, what better can you think of? So what is blood cancer? Blood cancer is an umbrella term that can describe the different types of blood cancer, namely leukemia, lymphoma uh, and myeloma. All blood cancers have different symptoms different treatments and uh, prognosis. For example, leukemia is a type of cancer found in the blood and bone marrow and affects white blood cells. Myeloma is a cancer of the plasma cells, which are a type of white blood cells made in bone marrow. And lymphoma is a cancer of the lymphatic system which largely contributes to our immune system. So, you know, to make it easier in simple terms, blood cancer happens when something goes wrong with the development of your blood cells. Usually this happens because of a change or mutation in the DNA within blood cells, causing those cells to stop behaving normally. And then those abnormal cells start to grow out of control and interrupt the function of normal blood cells which are responsible for fighting of infection and producing new blood cells. Uh, you have to remember it is important to know that these are changes we cannot control. This is a natural thing that happens and are not you know something which is genetic faults uh, uh, and, and it, it can also not be passed on. So uh, the symptoms of the blood cancer uh, that we should watch out for are 
for example, unexplained weight loss. So, you know, when, when you have weight loss and you don't know how it's happening and it's just suddenly happening, then, you know, you, it could be a possibility of blood cancer. Also, lumps or swellings uh, in, in, in your body parts um, without, you know, being hit anywhere. So these swellings or lumps could you know, also cause uh, cancer. If you have shortness of breath, that's also a cause night sweats, rash or itchy skin, um, pain in the bones, um, pain in the joints or abdomen or, or paleness. So these are all things that, uh, you know, uh, or, or, or symptoms uh, that can cause um, uh, 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 cancer. Now, so far we've learned that the mutations... Uh, uh, that can lead to blood cancer is not the direct result of any controllable actions. Um, for people who are pushing through cancer treatment um, or, or, or loved ones who are supporting someone with blood cancer, um, they have a, a, a coping mechanism uh, that could be essential. Now, Islam is a religion that teaches us that our coping mechanism should be in prayer. Our coping me mechanism should be in prostration to God Almighty. So the prostration is um, um, when when we you know prostrate for uh, our uh, and 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 in 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 the Islamic prayer, you know that the uh, those who have prayed or who have Muslim friends, there is a moment. Uh, in your prayer, when you actually speak in your own language, you speak to God Almighty directly in your own language. Of course, when when we pray, we have our own. Uh, we 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 pray the prayers in Arabic, but we also learn the 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 translation of it, so we understand what we're praying. But in the prostration moment, uh, we should be praying to God Almighty for for the help, uh, and He is the one who can help us. Um, as I promised you, we um, have some um, experts on today's show. Um, the first guest that we have is Charlotte Martin, uh, who is a patient advocacy officer of Leukemia UK. Um, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, uh, Charlotte, for um, being with us. Um, so as you know, we are discussing today, um, our, our discussion for today's hour is blood cancer. Now, mm -hmm. um, we've just discussed the signs and the symptoms of blood cancer and, and uh, a part of our goal for today's show um, was to have our listeners become aware of those very signs to watch themselves and loved ones. So uh, any, 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 any guidance on that? Yeah, so um, we, we did a bit of work looking at um, people's awareness of signs and symptoms. We did a, a poll of the, the general public. Um, that was a joint uh, poll we did between ourselves at Leukemia Care and a charity called Leukemia UK. Um, and we found that, that uh, basically hardly anyone could spot those signs and symptoms that you've been discussing. So. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what we that's what we wanted to talk about, and the reason why it's important to know the signs and symptoms is that uh, people with leukemia are, are actually quite likely to end up in accident and emergency departments mm -hmm. rather than being diagnosed through their GP. So, mm. 
unfortunately that you're less likely to survive if that does happen to you if you end up in a and e so it is really important to to make sure you uh, are clued up really which is really great that you've uh, invited me on to talk about it mm-hmm. thank you i mean you said that not people not many people are aware of these uh, symptoms or they don't know mm-hmm. or the are these uh, symptoms very common or or, or, or it's not really something which is which is common yeah they're, they're, they're what we call non-specific so they could be things that are associated with more common illnesses that aren't as serious so we're talking things like fatigue um, getting bruises hmm. bleeding from unusual places or just repeated infections things that you might think oh that's not really that important you know you just get on with your day mm-hmm. and and ignore that but actually um together uh, especially these things all together could add up to something quite serious leukemia so mm-hmm. um yeah we we're, we're really keen to sort of encourage everyone to 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 think about their health to think about whether something has changed and to seek help just to double check because we appreciate it's probably not leukemia most mm. people with tiredness probably don't go on to to develop leukemia but um the only way we can find out those who do um have something serious like leukemia is for everybody to get checked out more often hmm. okay your organization uh, released a very concerning study uh, regarding a lack mm. of this very knowledge in the southern east um can you elaborate on what uh, this study is yeah sure so this is the the poll of the general public i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. and um we did this just to find out what people know and we've actually run this for a couple of years now unfortunately we're not uh, not that yet there in in people knowing the most common symptoms of leukemia so uh, 42% of people couldn't choose any of the four types types of symptoms that are most common so we gave people a list and they mm-hmm. could tick as many as they wanted 42% didn't pick any of the most common ones um even sort of where the the symptom is something um that a lot of people could pick out so fatigue for example only 44% of people picked that mm-hmm. so we've got a problem where people aren't knowing that these things that are probably not that serious on their own are adding up to a serious problem um and that's what we'd like to change is is for people to think about how some of these things could be more serious than they realize. Hmm. And and uh, how is the spot leukemia campaign working to uh, to help reduce the number of people um uh, who are unaware of when when to see the GP with the worrying symptoms because um, I believe a lot of people are Uh, you know they just don't want to go to gp because you as you said you know they think it's just a normal you know illness there's nothing special about it yeah sure so what we have uh, been doing we're running again a joint new ca- joint campaign between us and leukemia uk we're working together to um what we call paraton so mm-hmm. we've made a campaign uh, video with a, a lovely parrot called henry who has um tried to make the symptoms a bit more memorable for people um so he's made a little rap in it um of the three most common symptoms and the idea is that hopefully those will stick in people's minds mm-hmm. and then the message of the video is to um if you're experiencing any of those symptoms to go to GP and to get a blood test just to check hmm. it's probably not leukemia but again 
just to, to double check that that's not the case. Hmm. And obviously we appreciate there are challenges facing the NHS. You know, everybody talks about GPs being under pressure at the moment. So we are doing some work to support the GPs too, to make sure they know about leukaemia and to make sure they are supported to do the blood tests when they need to, which we're going to launch a bit more on Sunday. Mm. Um, but for the public, for those people who are listening to us that aren't GPs, just the important thing to remember is that to look after yourself and if you're experiencing the symptoms, just go and double check mm. that, that um, it's nothing serious. Mm. Yeah, it's always, you know, uh, good to double check um, mm. and uh, if, because you never know. Uh, it could be too late uh, if you if you neglect uh, your your symptoms. Um, Absolutely. So, currently, what treatment options do patients have if they develop, uh, you know, once they have leukemia, uh, leukemia? Yeah. So, what people often don't realise is actually quite a few types of leukemia. There are over a hundred if you include all the rare ones. Oh. But um, if you talk about the most common ones, there are actually sort of two main groups. There are chronic leukemias um, and chronic sounds like a bad thing but what we mean by chronic is that it's uh, treatable uh, it's controllable but not curable and those ones are like I say really easy to treat they've had a lot of progress in treatment in recent years but early diagnosis is still important because if you leave it too late it can be uh, you know really difficult to treat more difficult to treat even with these um, good treatments if you don't get checked out soon so that's the chronic type. Mm-hmm. But um, the more dangerous and life-threatening type is the acute type. Um, and these are the ones that often end up in accident emergency, unfortunately. Um, and it really can make a difference to your chances of survival if you get diagnosed early. So most of the treatment options we have are still um, from the middle of the last century, really. There are chemotherapy options that we've had for a long time. And they work in some instances, but not always. And the innovation that's happened in that area is a lot uh, is focused on children mainly and younger people. Uh, there's not unfortunately been a lot of progress for people over the age of 65. So there's still a lot to be done mm. for acute leukemia. But early diagnosis on its own can make a difference to your chances of survival. So that's still important as well. Mm-hmm. And for the benefit, lastly, um, my last question for the benefit of our listeners. Um, how can the public get involved in spreading this awareness uh, about blood cancer and leukemia? Yeah, we'd love for everyone to get involved, um, if any of your listeners are are really keen. So um, we've got a website, spotleukemia.org.uk, and you should find everything there you need to to help us out. We've got our video, which you can share if you use um, social media or email or something like that. Um, particularly keen to reach older people because people don't realise that leukaemia actually is more likely to affect people over the age of 65. So mm. Mm. Um, do spread that. Um, we've also just got some posters in that people can share if they want to pop it up in their local uh, community centres and things like that. We'd be really happy if um, if everybody could do that. Mm. Um, so those are the main ways to get involved, really. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time and uh, your knowledge on, on, on this. Uh, thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So this was uh, um, Charlotte Martin, um, Patient Advocacy Officer, Leukemia of UK. So anyone who wants to get involved and wants to spread this awareness, uh, please visit 
um, spotleukemia.co.uk um, and, and be aware of uh, the disease and, and the symptoms as well, and especially take care of the elderly as this is more likely to uh, be uh, for those who are more than 65 of age. So um, before our guest, we were discussing about the coping mechanism in Islam and how we should cope with uh, with the um, uh, with with cancer or any tribulation in our life and that is of course um, prostation and, and, and seeking help from God Almighty but also apart from that um, before that you have to you know take care of your own health because the life that God Almighty has given to you it's a blessing so if you do not take care of the uh, the, the, the 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 body that God Almighty has given to you and you neglect then you'll see that you will have uh, you know difficulties and physical difficulties in this world so the earlier you diagnose your problems your symptoms the best the better is because if you neglect then you will you know end up you know, struggling and, 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 and you will, you know, eventually have, you know, blood cancer. So always be aware of these small symptoms that we just, this, you know, I, I just, you know, discussed earlier. And, uh, you know, don't hesitate, don't hesitate to go to the doctor and also listen to the doctor. Um, we have our second guest lined up for today, who is a professor, Professor Alex Tonks, um, who is a professor of um, Hematology School of Medicine in Cardiff University? Um, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to our show. Thank you, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for being with us and, and giving your time. Um, before you joined us, we were discussing um, why cancer is so hard to beat, and, and, and we talked about rapid growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and division and mutation but for our listeners we wanted to ask uh, an expert such as yourself to give your professional opinion on 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 this okay yeah so you know cancers are difficult to treat and i think one of the reasons for that is cancer is a complex disease to begin with so for example you could have breast cancer you could have prostate cancer or blood cancer as we're talking about today and each one of those diseases are different so whilst we use cancer as a sort of broad umbrella term we have to really think about these diseases being completely different from each other mm-hmm. and and it gets a bit more complicated than that you could actually look at a particular cancer and let's say blood cancer is a good example and within that tumor you have lots of different types of mutated cells and and in the science world and the clinical world we call this heterogeneous and i think that's one of the big factors why cancer is so hard to beat and mm. and there are some other factors and i think yourself and charlotte just discussed those very nicely identifying symptoms early enough if we can do that we can have better prospects for treatment and cure some people or you know improve their lives and I think you also touched upon the fact that, you know, it's particularly for leukemia itself, the main type of treatment at the moment is chemotherapy, some radiotherapy and targeted therapy. Mm. And this is not true for all types of blood cancers. And sadly, it's the elderly 
that might not be able to tolerate these types of therapies, particularly chemotherapy. You know, toxic, it's not very pleasant. Mm-hmm. And we need to do better there, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, and definitely need some more research on this, and especially the, the elderly. Um, Charlotte was saying as well, they cannot cope with this. It's mainly treatable for youngsters. Now, can you also explain um, uh, what AML is um, and how it, effects um its side effects uh, have motivated you to look for new targets or treatments yeah I, i can it might be a bit of a long answer but we should start with you know what what is blood cancer and i know you touched upon this and it's about the mutation of dna in blood cells mm-hmm. and and charlotte nicely described the different types of leukemias you can get and she talked about it being chronic which will last quite a long time and also it can be acute, and that's the rapid onset where you go to A&E. So there are two types, acute leukemia, chronic leukemia, and then within each of those, you can attribute the disease to the types of blood cell it affects. So in my case, in your question, it affects myeloid cells, and that's how we get acute myeloid leukemia, or AML. And, and the cells that are affected there are cells involved in fighting infection, uh, clotting, Um, and and that's what results in the types of symptoms that Charlotte was talking about. So the second part then is, you know, why do I look at that? Well, I I was not always a blood cancer researcher. In fact, my research started off in inflammation and lung immunology. Uh, And when I came to Cardiff to do more training and more research, um, I met patients. I took part in open days and discussed research with them. And Some of those were young children and some of those were elderly. And, you know, it was very moving to speak to patients. And you understand that it's a partnership between patients, clinicians and scientists. And I think interacting with um, this community has really motivated me to go on to look for new therapies. Because, as I said, we really de- do need some new targeted therapy. Uh, and what that means is it's less toxic. It's easier to uh, treat And, and hopefully better for the patient and prolong their lives, if not cure them. Hmm. Uh, now, for those who uh, you know are not aware of it, and I would like your advice on how people can be, uh, or, or uh, are there any precautions for people um, that they can take to avoid any developing blood cancer? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And I think you answered a little bit yourself, yeah. So the problem is there's not one particular cause for blood cancer, Hmm. and it's all about risk. Hmm. So I think what we need to do is how can we minimize the risk? Hmm. And there are many factors to that, and some we can control and some we can't. And as you said, some of it is genetic. So obviously we can't do much about that. But, you know, what, what is preventable identifying symptoms earlier, for example, because 12% of leukemia cases in the UK are indeed preventable. If we can identify, you know, the fatigue, the easy bruising, the repeated infections, Mm. then maybe the GP or the doctor at the hospital can get your treatment quicker. So it's being more aware, that's one thing. And then it's limiting your exposure to things that might lead to leukemia. And, and there are some examples. I mean, smoking, for example, or ionizing radiation. 
Mm. Um, but these are going to affect, you know, a very smaller proportion of people that may get blood cancer. So it's all about limiting risk. Uh, and some of it we can control and some of it we can't. We can't, yeah. Mm. Okay. But is it that most of the things we can control, it's it's our, it's in our own hands uh, to detect these symptoms? Uh, or is it like 50-50? You can, you can get it. It's, it's not in your control and... and I, th- I think a lot of it is not within your control. Okay. So some of the causes, for example, would be radiation. Now, not many people are actively engaging with radiation. That would, for example, be, you know, nuclear bombs going off or um, the main type of ionizing radiation would be at the hospital where you have, you know, x-rays, etc. cetera. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we're protected against that. We have precautions and we limit the amount of ionizing radiation you have. But smoking, of course, is something that's much easier to control. So Mm. you smoke or do not smoke. And and I think 3% of leukemias are caused by smoking. And that's because all the nasty, what we call carcinogens, you know, are carried in your blood. And, you know, cancer, blood cancer is, as the name says, it's in the blood. So we want to limit those things that can damage DNA. Mm. Yeah, and then you've got lifestyle factors, you know, mm, potentially lifestyle. Di- yeah. diet, etc. Mm. Speaking of, of diet, uh, my, my next question was that the, the, uh, how does the Western diet affect the chances of developing blood cancer? Because most of the food is processed and uh, the, mm. the food that we used to eat was much, much more natural. So how does nowadays food, especially in the Western society, affect uh, um, the development of, of blood cancer? Yeah, you know, again, that's a great question, I think, and you touched upon this uh, processed food. But, but first of all, this sort of goes back to minimizing risk. And there's not many studies that have sort of diet and cancer associations. Perhaps bowel cancer is one of the most significant ones. But blood cancer would be much down the list in terms of risk. So if we talked about it in cancer in general, you are better off having a more healthier, balanced diet, eating fiber, for example, where you can move food through your your gut system more quickly, avoid the processed meats, Um, don't be obese, have a healthier cardiovascular system. Mm. And and that way we can minimize risk for all types of cancers. Okay, thank you. Um, so, you know, be aware of, of uh, having a better and healthier diet is something that can help as well. Thank you very much for your yep. uh, f- for answering our questions and, uh, and, and your time as well. Thank you. It, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to me as well. So this was uh, Professor Alex Tongs, Professor of Hematology School of Medicine um, at Cardiff University. Very interesting um, um, yeah, discussion indeed uh, that uh, I had with him. Um, you know, earlier, we I was discussing about the, uh, the, the, the you know how we we should be treating this and how we should not be neglectful of um, our uh, you know these uh, of of the symptoms or if if we are careless of what we eat and you know the last thing that we discussed was also the diet that has a big effect on uh, developing blood cancer so you know we should think twice and uh, you know before 
we eat something or how it could affect our health as well. One of uh, the members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Sir Muhammad Zafrullah Khan, um, who was a Pakistani politician, a diplomat, an international jurist known for his re- uh, representation of Pakistan at the United Nations. From his life, we learn that the importance of compliance in our health, healthcare and plans. He was observed to have a small and selected diet. So, you know, he knew what he was eating and if it's beneficial for him or not. And he suffered from diabetes for about 40 years and he followed medical advice very strictly. And he was very uh, scrupulous and never took anything against the advice, even if someone insisted. So the, the, the secret was of his good health um, is the selection of the food that he ate and 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 listening carefully and following what the doctor said and Allah blessed him with a very very long and active life and and um, again his discipline and strict compliance with medical advice some of his you know close friends even you know commented that Chaudhry Sahib is not suffering from diabetes, rather diabetes is suffering from uh, Chaudhry Sahib. So he would uh, you know, sometimes hear this and he would just smile, but their comment would never you know, affect his diet and the lifestyle that he used to have. So this is how we should you know, live our life as well. We should have selected foods, which is you know, healthy for our uh, diet um, and also listen to our doctors as well. Um, and this is something uh, which is uh, very important. Um, I'm also joined with uh, um, uh, Brother Safir. Um, assalamu alaikum. Uh, how are you? Wa alaikum assalam rahmatullah. Peace be upon you. Peace be upon you too. Um, thank you very much for joining. So, uh, w- w- what do you think? Um, how can we, uh, you know, have a lifestyle like like Sarazafullah uh, Khan Sab? Yeah, I think that's a great example uh, of discipline, as you mentioned. Um, obviously, I think he had uh, was uh, had diabetes for forty years hmm. or something like that, um, which obviously is also a very um, harsh, uh, you know, illness to cope with. And um, as you mentioned, that he. He was very uh, careful and uh, disciplined about his um, diet, about how he, uh, about his lifestyle in general. I mean, he was dis- disciplined about everything. So that was what made him obviously so successful in his life. But I think with the with cancer and blood cancer, obviously September being the month of awareness around blood cancer, which uh, you know. Uh, is uh, something that a lot of people are suffering from and uh, obviously it's a horrible disease uh, which uh, ultimately takes uh, and drains out the life of uh, you know the patients hmm. um, obviously the thing is that uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, factors to that many people say that you know in the future many new cancers or maybe you know, more people will be affected by different types of cancers because of the pollutions, because of the food that we consume. And sometimes it's not just people's 
own lifestyle or their own doing, but even the environment that you live in um, can have an effect and, and you know, um, result in, in cancers. So so it really is very difficult to, to, to kind of, uh, you know, uh, tackle. Hmm. But I think uh, the best one can do, obviously, is to to pray and uh, to, uh, to to take care of one's uh, health um, and and just try their best to be active and and uh, healthy and eating healthy, so we can limit the chances of uh, of these kind of uh, cancers, which we know that you know they they increase with the with the with the unhealthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I mean, um, as we are discussing about Sir Zafullah Khan Sahib, you know, he, as a Muslim, he showed a great compliance, uh, uh, not just only with uh, Western medicine, but also with obedience to God and, um, you know, taking care of his body that God Almighty has given to him and, and the health as well. Uh, so he was grateful for the uh, the health that he had and he took care of it as well. Uh but of course, alongside you know, as as Muslims, alongside the medicine, we also pray. And and um, in speaking of treating mental health, um, His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, also expressed that um, while taking medication, remembrance of Allah is also the key uh, for those who believe. And he states that Allah, the Almighty, stays in the Holy Quran. I it is in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort. You have to make an effort towards this and you must utilize your willpower and face the reality head on. Um, we have our next guest, Ellie uh, Philpotts, um, who is a blood cancer survivor and a educational journalist as well. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to um, our Drive Time Show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you very much for being with us here. Um, That's all right. So, Ali, uh, you went through cancer and remission as a teenager. Can you tell us how to uh, know what signs and symptoms or, uh, that caused you uh, to, um, you know, to go to this, uh, the GP? Yeah, so I think a problem with uh, blood cancer sometimes is that it can be quite vague um, and a lot of people have symptoms that are similar to other um, more common um, and actually milder illnesses. So often it's it's kind of picked up fairly late and people don't realise that they actually have such a serious illness immediately. Um, So the symptoms are things often like drenching night sweats, uh, breathlessness, a lump in the neck, bruising, um, more infections than normal, you know, struggling to shake off illnesses uh, and just kind of general fatigue and illness. Um, And I would say I had a combination of these. So the biggest red flag for me was probably the drenching night sweats. Um, And I think, you know, you know that's not normal, but you often put it down as other things. Like you think maybe I've been sort of exercising too much or I've been, you know, wrapped up too warm um, at night, that kind of thing. Um, But actually, if you are having night sweats, so, you know, when you're lying in bed and you're sort of covered, covered in sweat that you shouldn't be, mm. I think that is, is a reason you should go and see the GP. Um, and that was kind of what triggered me to do that. So, yeah, I had symptoms for a fair few months. Um, and when they were not getting better and they were just getting worse, I sort of went to the GP and then, and then went back. And I think you have got to be fairly persistent. I'd say sort of, you know, ask for a blood test, um, 
you know, maybe ask them to feel your glands and your neck, that kind of thing, um, and, and just kind of listen to your body and, and, and know when to when to seek help. Hmm. Yeah. Ellie, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing, I mean, the, 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 the kind of challenge that you had to go through. What uh, At what age did you kind of, you know, uh, find out that, that you, you were having this? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so I was 15 when I was diagnosed. Um, so obviously that is quite a young age. It's a time where you're going through lots of other challenges and trying to figure out your identity in other ways. Um, so as you say, yeah, that was a challenging period. But I think you just have to sort of try to cope as best as you can. And different people have different coping mechanisms. Um, you know, for me, I quite like to find out as much information as possible. There's quite a lot of false information sometimes in, in medicine um, and people don't necessarily understand it, which is understandable. It's a complex thing. So I personally quite like to sort of ask questions to doctors and, and figure things out like that. But, you know, that might not work for everyone. So it's just sort of how you feel comfortable, really. Um, I think also another coping mechanism is just sort of taking each day at a time um visualizing the future where hopefully this wouldn't be the reality obviously I've, I've been pretty healthy ever since um and i was also doing my gcse's at the time so i found it a really helpful distraction to take my books with me to chemotherapy and and study and, and focus on that as well so yeah there's lots of different ways of managing obviously not everyone is able to do that and everyone's circumstances are a little bit different but for me that was sort of how i how i got through it um and yeah, even though I've been in remission ever since, I do try to still, you know, do campaigning and charity work and uh, campaigning for stem cell donors um, because there aren't enough in the UK and often stem cell transplants can save blood cancer patients' lives and a lot of people don't really understand that it's a relatively simple procedure um, and it's a real shame that there aren't more people on, on the registry. So that's something I'm quite passionate about uh, even now. Hmm. Okay. Um, but I mean, how many how many years has it been now since you have, uh, you know, you, mm-hmm. you were first diagnosed, and then I assume obviously you do get cancer free, and then yeah. Um, yeah. Is, is there any treatment that goes on, or do you just go for checkups? Yeah. Um, well, so people circumstances do vary quite a lot, but to me personally, I've been in remission for about eleven years now. Uh, so I'm 26 now and I was 15 when I was diagnosed so I had about six months of treatment so that was chemotherapy steroids um, and a few other little things and luckily luckily for me after that I became in remission so that had worked at killing the cancer and it hasn't come back so I've been really lucky and I just sort of had some scans um, every now and then and checkups um, and now I've been discharged from my oncologist so that's good. But obviously some people require more intensive treatment like transplants or radiation. Um, and some people might require more thorough checks um, later into their remission. Um, but yeah, that's how it's been for me. So as I say, I'm not on any treatment currently. Um, and I've, I've been pretty healthy since, which is really good. But it shows the need for people to do things like donate blood if they can or donate themselves um if they can so yeah i'd really recommend that people have a look into doing that uh that's really good that uh you know you you are f- fully fine now and fully recovered um mm. so oh, thank you yeah i mean uh it's a good thing that you you also said that you know you used to ask questions as well to your doctor um mm. so you're curious of what what's going on <laughs> so this is something which yeah. is which which everyone should do actually uh, 
Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, have you also been uh, able to use your work as a journalist to spread awareness about blood cancer? Yeah, sort of. So, I think a lot of my skills and my interest in journalism relates to it. So, I've done a lot of writing, speaking about it. Um, you know, so I sort of done campaigning and written articles and been on the news talking about it. Um, and all, all of these are quite journalistic skills, so it has helped me. Um, my actual job in journalism isn't related as such. Um, I, I'm currently working in education, um, but I did used to be a medical journalist. So I guess it kind of inspired me to get into that specific aspect. Um, but there wasn't really much crossover, you know, in my actual role, but it's still, um, it's still something that I do feel has transferable skills. So I sort of combined the two aspects uh, in, in certain ways. So, yeah, um, yeah it's been, been good. <laughs> okay, that's, that's good. That's good. Mm. Yeah. Lastly, um, Ellie, uh, as a patient yourself as well, um, obviously you, you talked about uh, what you uh, went through and how you tackled mm-hmm. that. But why do you think so many people here um, in the UK are unaware of how to identify signs of blood cancer because obviously there's been so many um, challenges with, with backlogs and you know difficulty accessing uh, GPs and um, you know getting uh, checkups uh, people sometimes might not know that you know they are yeah. at what stage uh, of cancer yeah yeah that's really important and as I said earlier sometimes the symptoms can be quite vague so I think just knowing knowing when something's persistent and then going to see GP is so important obviously GPs are, are trying to help everyone but there's a uh, lot of demand at the moment so I think um, sometimes blood cancer can seem a bit confusing um, you know it's not often a solid tumour or associated with a certain organ like most cancers are and it's also different names so leukemia a lot of people might have heard of that's a type of blood cancer lymphoma maybe less people have heard of and then there's a the big phrase blood cancer so i think people do get a little bit confused and it's a bit hard to place sometimes or they might associate leukemia with babies and young children when actually it can affect all ages um and also because the symptoms are like other illnesses it can you know people don't necessarily realize um until it's until it's quite advanced um but that shows the importance of charities like leukemia care they're currently doing their spot leukemia campaign um and other charities like the cancer uk and lymphoma action they're doing uh, blood cancer awareness month for every september so hopefully people listening you know members of the public will realize um what the signs are and to get things checked out you know if you're bruising more if you're sort of having unexplained bleeding or infections or night sweats and definitely try try and get a blood test and, and other diagnostic tools at the GP or, or at your medical centre. Um, and yeah, hopefully people realise because lymphoma is a rare cancer, um, but it, it is actually one of the most common teenage cancers as well. So it kind of varies depending on sort of what sort of age you are, but it can affect people of all ages. Um, so yeah, that's kind of uh, something I'm really keen to to translate um, and and pass on to, to people listening. Wonderful. Thank you very much, um, uh, Ellie, for uh, being with us um, and, and answering, uh, answering our questions. Um, and, and good luck with your with your campaign and uh, the um, education that you're giving to others about uh, blood cancer. Thank you very much. Well, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So this was uh, Ellie Philpott's blood cancer survivor and educational journalist. Um, we have lined up our uh, final caller. 
uh, and final guest for this hour, uh, Thomas J. Caton, uh, who is a teen leukemia survivor. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to Drive Time Show. Assalamu alaikum. Can you hear me? Okay, perfect. Um, uh, as a survivor uh, of leukemia, can you tell us about uh, when you found out uh, that you had leukemia and how, as a teenager, you coped with your diagnosis? Yeah, so I found out um, a week after my 16th birthday. So uh, it was on September 4th, 2017. Um, so obviously at the time, I was like really distraught. Um, obviously your life stops. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and as you know that uh, if you've listened earlier to us, um, today's show is about blood cancer awareness. Uh, so, um, and, and we've also been discussing uh, today that there is a staggering number of UK citizens who are unaware of the signs and symptoms of uh, the blood cancer. So what signs alerted you or your parents that you needed to seek medical help? So the main signs really was um, short of breath, um, having high heart rate, like just walking up the stairs with the heart be out of my chest. Hmm. Uh, I just really, really um, tired. Hmm. Okay, so tiredness and, and uh, uh, pain in the chest, you said? Um, yeah, so like my heart rate would be just really, really high. Okay, high um, heart rate. Okay, so these were the... Okay. And and it's it's good that you and how are you now? Is it fully recovered, uh, uh, or are you still? Do you have still side effects of it? So yeah, so I'm fully recovered now. So I finished my treatment in February of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so still a few things obviously that um, obviously don't go back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know everything tends to be go back to what you call normal. Okay, okay, that's good. Um, Brother Sophie, do you have any questions for um, uh, Thomas? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, great listening to you, Thomas. Um, I wanted to ask uh, for, for many young people who are going through treatment or remission, uh, what advice would you give about how to cope um, or how to keep up with uh, you know, the normal uh, hobbies, work, relationships? Because obviously it could be, it definitely is so overwhelming just to know that you, you have something that you, you you're going to struggle with so how what advice would you give to people how to go about tackling um such challenges so i mean it's fairly hard advice to give to someone of anyone really of any age who goes to that sort of thing but the thing that i always found um that helped was to just not kind of not worry about it take the mick out of it um and just kind of cater things that you do do towards it um but don't let it get in the way Hmm. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you, Thomas, uh, for answering our questions and being with us here. Uh, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. So this was Thomas J. Caton, teen uh, leukemia survivor. Uh, by the grace of um, Allah, he's fine now. And uh, the good thing is that he uh, diagnosed and he realized his uh, symptoms early. Um, and, and I suggest and advice uh, everyone who's listening as well that you know if you have any concerns about your health if you see any of the symptoms that we discussed earlier 
please do you know uh, seek help from your gp and 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 ask them uh, so so that this uh, you know could be treated early in an early age as you know when you above 65 it's very difficult to cure and treat so the younger you um diagnose and the younger you go to your gp the better it is um and of course as Muslims, we believe that patience in the face of difficulty is 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 a, a key to go through the difficulty. Of course, now the modern medicine has made indre- in, in, uh, incredible you know strides in curing and in, in, uh, and, and treating the illnesses. Um, but Islam teaches us that when we pass through uh, you know trying circumstances and we pray with sincerity we will receive God's protection and because we belong to him and him alone he is the one who can protect us of course um, and, and there is also a hadith um, you know about uh, being steadfastness isn't it um, uh, Brother Safir yeah I think you know in in such uh, difficult challenging uh, situations where obviously if somebody has uh, blood cancer themselves or, or or have loved ones suffering from blood cancer or any other type of cancers it's very difficult for both the relatives as well as the person hmm. who are going through themselves and sometimes you know it's it could be easy to lose uh, patience and just you know give up but the thing is like you know as we spoke to our uh, guests as well, that uh, uh, you have to just get on with uh, with your life and try to enjoy it and try to be as uh, productive as you can be hmm. and try not to let the illness overtake um, your happiness and your mental peace. Hmm. And I think that's something that we learn from Islam as well, that illnesses and challenges do come from time to time. Um, but we have to be. We have to try to be patient and positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a saying where, for example, also with grieving and with uh, expressing uh, sorrow. Uh, once uh, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was passing by a woman who was crying by the side of the grave, mm-hmm. um, and she was crying a lot, mo- much more than you know, excessively and loudly. And uh, he said to her. You know, be mindful of the duty to Allah and be steadfast. You know, do not, you know, cry that much. You know, you can control yourself a little bit if you can. And she obviously became frustrated or angry and she said, leave leave me alone. You don't know anything about my pain. Hmm. But then later on she was told, the Prophet just went, obviously, ignored and he just went away. But somebody told her later that that was the Holy Prophet, who himself has lost several children, hmm. um, you know, at a very young age. So that shows that in the time of extreme uh, challenge and pain, uh, yes, Islam allows us to be um, to to cry or to express sorrow, but uh, we should try to uh, keep uh, in our senses and also to show steadfastness as well as as well as patience and put that pain into prayer, which uh, is more uh, powerful. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Quran also says that, um, and the Holy Prophet, I believe, he says that uh, the prayer is something which, you know, is the the coolness of my eyes or something like that, which is, you know, it gives you satisfaction. 
um, in heart that you know God is listening to me and eventually the patients that I have that will help me in future as well. Now, having blood cancer or supporting a loved one with blood cancer is a true hardship, but Allah tells us to turn to Him with our troubles and beseech Him for help, and we will certainly find His hand reaching out to us. Um, His Holiness, um, you know, once said that whatever exhaustion, ailment, anxiety, hardship, and grief reaches a Muslim, so much so that even if a thorn pricks him, then Allah the Almighty forgives some of the shortcomings and the recompense for it. So may Allah, you know, give all those who have difficulty health. to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, peace be upon you and welcome back to the Drive Time Show. Um, it is 3 past 5, 30th of September and um, myself, Zakaria, I'm back with um, Safir Ahmed who has joined me uh, today as well. Um, Brother Safir, we uh, were discussing about uh, you know cancer um, and uh, the awareness of it, and it was a very interesting discussion, um, and and especially uh, and hopefully it was beneficial for those who were listening as well, because awareness is something that you know needs to be repeatedly said to others, you know, to people. You know, sometimes we are not aware of the things that uh, is going on with with our life as well and when we realize that you know these bruises or the the shortness of breath or uh, you know some of the symptoms that we already had you know why were they happening and then you know when you know that you should go and check up um, so that if god forbid you had cancer it could be treated so it's a uh, you know very important to have this awareness and that's why you know we have the september uh, which is, uh, you know, known as the awareness of cancer. Um, but for this hour, we have a slight topic, uh, a slight different topic that we uh, will be discussing, and it's it's about marriage um, and and uh, um, what marriage does. Is it good for us? Is it bad for us? So, um, Brother Safir, could you introduce us to this topic? Why is it important for us? Is it good for us or not? What does you know the Quran say? Yeah, Zakaria, I think you introduced it already, but I think we can start with the verse of uh, uh, the uh, 
um, Holy Quran uh, that comes to my mind where uh, the Allah the Almighty has said that, you know, um, believing men and uh, women, they are like a garment to each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the uh, purpose of garment is to protect and to um, keep safe. So that essentially does give an idea of what marriage is. Hmm. Now, obviously, uh, marriage is um, something that the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings will be upon him, has obviously talked about as well. Um, he said that, O company of the youth, uh, he who can afford to marry should marry, for it keeps the eyes cast down and keeps the man chaste. And he who cannot afford to marry should take to fasting, for it will have a sobering effect on him. Now, we know that Islam is a religion that uh, promotes fa- uh, fasting as well, but promotes marriage, I should say. Hmm. That was what uh, you know what uh, we're talking about. So it promotes uh, marriage and um, Islam does not allow for, um, you know, sexual uh, relationship uh, before marriage. Mm. So Islam is a religion that is very strict on this, that between men and women, the correct way to uh, live their life um, uh, in terms of sexual relations as well is through marriage, because marriage secures the relationship. Mm. It uh, puts responsibility both on the husband and wife, on the Mm. man and the woman, to do certain responsibilities or to look after each other, you know, stay um, honest to each other and commit to each other to spend their lives together. And um, instead of, you know, uh, uh, what we see in, um, in in the Western society or literally almost everywhere in the world right now where there is, uh, you know, this, uh, this, this concept of just open relationships and... Uh, there's no, um, you know, sense of uh, proper responsibility or modesty which uh, Islam promotes. So, mm-hmm. I think for these reasons, mo- modesty, safety, security, and the correct uh, uh, use of uh, the faculties that God Almighty has given us, this is why the marriage or the relationship of married life has been uh, stressed upon in the mm-hmm. Islamic teachings, mm-hmm. and it has um, a lot of benefits. Uh, which we're going to talk about in this show. Hmm. I mean, uh, if you look at the statistics, according to the UK Lifestyle blog, um, the phrase or the logan is, don't disappoint me. The average length of marriage is a little less than 12 years. Um, and the divorce rate, divorce rate is 42%. And unreasonable behavior is the number one cause. So unreasonable behavior, you know, uh, unresponsible behavior, I think, also, which uh, which which can cause of divorces, and the unrealistic expectations about relationships are to be blamed, and special attention needs to be drawn to the endless game of passing the partner, and landing on the new one. So this is a an issue that, when the society says, like you said, you know, you can just be free and do whatever you want, and you can just have affairs. Yeah, I mean, look, when we say be free and do whatever you want as yeah. as people often who who are against marriage or mm. say, okay, you know, marriage is a commitment that they don't want to do. Mm. And then they would just have relationships, uh, you know, ongoing um, for, for, for years and years. But the problem is that 
it does not make someone happy uh, for 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 a long time. I mean, it's people are you know moving from one partner to another, and uh, constantly you know they are disappointed uh, mm. by different things. You know, um, people you know would find out that their partners are not true to them, or they are in fact spending time with other partners or other people. You know, so there's a lot of issues with that. Hmm. And it does not bring any um, stability to a relationship. It doesn't bring about peace in the homes. And especially if you factor in the, uh, uh, the, the case of children as well. For children as well, it becomes very complicated, very yeah. difficult to, to cope with that. Hmm. Obviously, there's many single parents um, in the UK and also in, in Western countries where single Mothers have to raise their children alone, or sometimes single fathers have to do do that, and it's very difficult. Uh, obviously, with the, all the commitments and bringing up children is not easy as well. It requires the support from the husband and wife, or from the man and the woman. Mm. But in many cases, obviously, there are many mothers who are uh, single with their uh, children, and their fathers, you know, are vanished, or they you know will not have any accept any responsibility so for children it's detrimental as well then they grow up uh, with a broken house mm. so it all shows us that you know we just have to look at the environment and the society that we live in here in the UK and i think everybody can see that uh, even people who are not muslim they can see that there is this broken system mm. uh, of of relationships um here and and obviously, uh, you know, there there are many houses which have a healthy relationship where there is a married life and, you know, there is uh, stability, there is security. But I'm talking about majority of the system here, uh, of the condition here in the, in the UK. And that is why the government is, uh, you know, trying to do more to support parents and children experiencing mm. family breakdowns. And they are trying different things to sort out the problem, but the root of the problem is something that Islam fixes, and no government really is paying attention to that. Mm. And that root of the problem that Islam fixes is about, uh, you know, married, marriage, and it's about modesty, and it's about security, and limiting the free mixing of men and women to an extent where there is uh, you know, no responsibility and, uh, you know, um, open relationship that results in disappointments. Mm. A good thing that you mentioned um, and a very uh, valid point is that free mixing, because let's say even if you're married and you still are allowed to free mix and you can just, you know, meet anyone you want, um, then that's also that could cause you know breakups as well because you know you will have attention from other women as well and this will you know also uh, in a, Islam is actually such a beautiful religion that prevents you from you know breakups and and all the evils in in the society you know not just just you know free mixing but it also uh, prevents you and prohibits you to drink alcohol as well right so you know, when you drink alcohol, you're not in your senses and you don't really know what you're doing, who you're you know, talking to and all that, what behavior you have, you know. But when you're in your senses, you know what you're doing. So, you know, one of the 
a um, um, uh, the, you know M- Mr. Justice uh, uh, Coleridge, a, a family division judge, and you know he once said that the consequences of family breakup for society are so great that it could not longer be a purely private matter, and 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 called for a national commission to consider the problem and its solution and. In the cohabitation, uh, which seems to be getting very popular these days, does not increase financial, you know, satisfaction and health. The boost of, you know, t- to happiness from having a living partner is only about a quarter of what, uh, of that of being married. Now, you know, according to a team of scholars who published the book. Should I try to work it out? The data shows that within the five years, just 13% of very unhappy married couples who stick it out are still unhappy. But 70% of uh, the unhappiest couples now describe their marriages as very or quite happy. So, you know, marriage in, in, in this uh, research, uh, you know, it's it's after a while they realize that yes they are happy because you know afterwards they have family they have kids and 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 and, and eventually they have become grandparents as well with their grandchildren so the happiness that you see from your progeny as well and 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 the that you you know you kept your relationship you didn't break it right and you committed you were committed because you were married um you know that is something that you know uh you know brings happiness as well um again you know marriage is a covenant as well isn't it to be uh, it, it's 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 not a contract so uh, it's based on unconditional love between you know y- your god your husband and wife like you said um, you know earlier as well that uh your wife or your spouse is like a, a garment for you so you protect each other for the sake of God Almighty, and when you do that, you know you the the things that happen between you and your wife, right? Because you're committed, you know that you're married, okay? And and the things that happen that should stay between, uh, you know, yourself and your wife, and you also protect from you know any evil or any, uh, you can say, uh, anything that is bad for your family as well. So. Um, you know, it's 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 something which is beautiful, um, and and we can learn from it as well. Mm. And I think it's important to also point out the fact that marriage is by no means perfect. Yeah. It, uh, but it's it's a commitment. It's like, you know, if 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 you commit to something, you commit to go through difficulties as well, as well as happy times and maybe difficult times as well. Mm. But for the sake of you know, um, being true to your um, your husband or your wife, um, and that is what marriage is about. I mean, so often we see that nowadays <clears throat> the society has become such, or the norm is such that people are losing patience. Yeah. People, people are not having patience with um, other people. So when they would choose partners at the quickest or the um, just you know, maybe in a, in a short time, they might get tired of that person, or they might uh, find somebody else who they are suddenly more attractive towards, mm. or attracted towards, or you know, it's, it's the, the mistakes or the 
um, you know, the weaknesses of the other person um, is, is something that uh, is highlighted and people forget that they also have mistakes and weaknesses themselves. Mm. And uh, they have to, you know, um, to compromise. So people are not ready to compromise. Mm. It's much easier to for them to just leave a relationship and start a new one with somebody else. So that, that shows that that is how the society is today. And that's why there's not much stability in relationships. Mm. And that's why people are, you know, hopping from one relationship into another and moving from one relationship to the third or fourth or fifth. So when it comes to marriage, of course, marriage needs uh, a strong will and a uh, strong commitment from both parties where they would commit to overlook, you know, the small weaknesses of others. And as long as, you know, there's nothing uh, fundamentally wrong which happens in a married relationship, then one should, you know, uh, look, uh, uh, ignore, or maybe, you know, look away from small weaknesses because everyone has weaknesses mm. and, and try to move and work towards a healthy relationship where where we are able to appreciate um, much better each other and also support and help. And that's exactly what Islam teaches mm. when I, you know, mentioned uh, in the beginning of the program about, um, you know, the relationship between men and women and them being garment to each other. Hmm. Um, and that is exactly that you, whatever happens in a relationship of a married relationship should stay within that married relationship um, and between the husband and the wife, and then they should support each other, cover each other, we, uh, each other's weaknesses. This is all the meanings of garment. Again, modesty as well. You know, garment is something that covers you up. So, Modesty again is so central to to the relationship of marriage. Mm. So that goes both ways. The husband and the wife they both have to be try to be modest and and um, you know. Um, and patience. again, one other thing that Islam yes Islam teaches is that um, uh, in the ver- in in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says to the men that the men should keep their eyes down, mm. and the women should also keep their eyes down and they should also cover up as in they should be modest mm. um, and I think that's something that people don't realize people are often quick to criticize Islam saying that oh Islam you know tells women um, to to cover uh, themselves and they it tells you know uh, it doesn't allow any relationship of uh, of uh, intimate uh, nature before marriage so Islam is a very strict religion it does not uh, work out in today's society, but in fact, if you look at all the problems that we have in 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 our societies of um, you know distrust, mistrust, and um, indecency, and um, you know all of these things, uh, broken relationship, broken houses, lack of peace, yep. this is all because people forget this fundamental teaching of Islam, which. Yep. talks about modesty that yep. you should try to have modesty modesty is a it's it's the key for a successful um, you know marriage as well um we have Maud fertile who uh, is the author creator of marriage fitness program has a international reputation for saving marriages is being uh, waiting patiently um 
to speak to us. Uh, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. Um, um, we, we, we've been discussing about marriages and uh, and how this is a success of, uh, you know, uh, why marriage is better than, you know, just the normal relationship that we have. Um, so what motivated you to start sharing your knowledge regarding marriage fitness? And how do you define marriage marriage fitness why why the word fitness so first of all in terms of what motivated me um, my own personal experience really is what motivated me my wife and i a number of years ago had our own challenges in marriage and when we reached out for help i was really horrified at the type and the quality of help that was being offered mm-hmm. um, most of the books we were reading and people we were speaking to were directing us to focus on our problems and issues Hmm. um, and really sending us into the past. And we found that the more we um, focused on the past and the problems, the more mired we became in the whole negativity of our situation. And that it really was just not effective. And so um, I know we only have a couple of minutes here, but long story short, we actually ended up sort of developing our own methodology for healing and reconciling marriages, which in short is not about fixing what's wrong, but it's about making new things right Hmm. and moving forward. And we found that when we did that, it was really incredibly effective for us. And then we started to develop the methodology further and found that it was really effective for others as well. Hmm. In terms of the term marriage fitness and why why I used it, because I think that we would all be a lot better off if we approached marriage and saw marriage in a way, in a similar way that most of us now approach and see our physical health. In other words, um, people now understand that we should take care of our body, exercise and diet in a preventative way. Hmm. There are certain principles and practices of physical health that if you align your life with them, you will have good physical health. Mm. For example, a good night's sleep, uh, a healthy diet of, you know, fruits and vegetables and avoiding processed foods and, and uh, meats. Um, and of course, exercise. Mm. And if you, you know, if you follow some of these simple principles and practices, there's just a, there's a very direct cause and effect. You will have a much healthier body. So too with marriage. Um, we have this, these expressions, love is a mystery, and, um, you know, you have to be lucky in love. Th- these are the lies of romantics. You don't have to be lucky. You have to be smart. Hmm. There really are specific things that one can and should do in order to keep a marriage fit. Hmm. And we should do these preventatively, not just when we have problems. Traditionally, people paid attention to their marriage when they felt they had problems. But by then, it's really not going to fit totally too late, but it's, it's later than it should have been. <laughs> mm. And if we had spent time and attention on the marriage before we had the problems, we probably would have never got into the situation where we had the problems to begin with. Mm. I mean, the term uh, fitness that you use is quite, you know, interesting and it's, 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 uh, it fits perfect with marriage as well. I mean, if you want to have a successful or a, a fit body, you cannot, you know, neglect at one aspect. For example, you can go exercise for hours and over an hour, but 
but you don't have a good diet or you're not sleeping well, right? You won't see any success. You won't see any fruits of your, uh, you know, your efforts. But when you actually, you know, uh, you know, making sure that you are strict to all the things uh, in regards to your fitness and, and, and your goal, you'll see that you see success. And similarly with, with marriage as well. Um, yeah, very, uh, very interesting, uh, you know, a name that you've given and and it fits perfectly with the with the with the life of marriage yeah. um so brother safir do you have a question um as well for um uh, uh, for fertile yeah uh, i want to ask uh, what are the common mistakes people do because obviously people might be quick to commit to a marriage but then obviously the the hard part is to keep the marriage uh, going. So what are the common uh, pitfalls that people should be aware of and they should stay away from? The most common, at, at the risk of being repetitive, the most common mistake is thinking that this is a matter of luck, that this is mystery, that, um, you know, we're just sort of compatible or we're not compatible and there's really nothing we can do about it. And that's just ridiculous. Succeeding in marriage is like succeeding in anything else, which is there, there is a way to do it. There are things that work and things that don't work. And if you're, you know, if you're succeeding in your marriage, it probably means you're doing things over and over and over that are good and healthy. And if you're not succeeding in your marriage, then it's almost always the case that, you know, somebody, if not both people are doing things over and over and over, that are not healthy and not functional. And so the most important thing that a person can do to have a successful marriage is to A, understand that, and then B, and this is just as important, seek that wisdom. What, what are the principles and practices of a successful marriage? If this is not luck, if this is not a matter of compatibility, if this is not some mystery, then what is it in fact that makes a marriage work or not work? because there really are dozens and dozens of specific principles and practices. And to know them is freedom. To know them is to have sort of control over the intimacy and the connection between you and your spouse. Hmm. The, one of the research that um, they have done is that, you know, the divorce rate um, for the first marriage is 50%. But, you know, uh, you've also mentioned that this number increases every time someone remarries. But wh- why is it so? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It is the, interesting. Um, yeah. you, would, you, would think, you would think the divorce rate would go down, especially since you have all these people yeah. that are saying to themselves, oh my gosh, I learned my lesson, I'll never do that again. Yeah. You know, and now I'm the wiser. But in fact, second marriage is divorce rate is 70%. Third marriage is divorce rate is 80%. We seem to be going in the wrong direction. And the reason for that is it's related to what we've already discussed. And it's that in short, it's because the key to succeeding in marriage is not finding the right person. It's Mm. becoming the right person. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, um, it's learning to love the person you found, um, not finding the right person. And when, when, you, when you really learn to, and, and so what you have in second and third marriages is a higher concentration of people 
that just don't really know how to do this thing called marriage and who generally think that it's this matter of luck and it's this mystery. Hmm. And so the more concentrated uh, you have of people who see marriage in that way, the higher likelihood of failure. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Mot, I wanted to also ask you that, you know, couples in today's society are quick to give up on their marriage, um, you know, when, when things start getting difficult. Um, do you think people are losing patience and uh, the, the self-control that is needed, the discipline that is needed to be in a marriage? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a lot of factors. I mean, in general, in society, we have a very consumer-oriented mentality, um, which is that, you know, if something is broken, you throw it out and get a new one. Um, and, you know, so much uh, in the consumer market is consumable, and you just kind of move from one thing to the next. And, and whatever you are ordering, you, you can basically get it in any color, shape, and size you want. And so if I don't have exactly what I want, then I'm dissatisfied and I can, I can sort of move on. And then the mistake that people are making is they're applying that consumer mentality to our relationships. Hmm. And of course, you know, they, it's not applicable. You, you can't apply it. It's, they're, they're, they're two different things. I mean, this was the mistake that, that Adam and Eve made in the Garden of Eden, right? Um, everybody knows that they couldn't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But if you look at the first part of that verse, uh, it's, it's where God tells them that you can eat from all of the trees in the garden. The whole garden is yours, and they had no competition. <laughs> it was just the two of them. And it was all theirs, except for just this one tree. And they couldn't let go of that one little problem. They became obsessed by it and about it. And rather than focusing on everything they did have and everything that was right, they just obsessed about the one thing that wasn't quite right. And that was their downfall and why they got kicked out of the garden. It sounds like a very ancient story, but in truth, it's very often it's our story where we make the mistake of obsessing about something that might not be 100% right, and it ends up clouding our perspective on the entire relationship, which maybe has many, many, many blessings. And a relationship is never going to be like the car that you pick up at the dealership. It's never going to be perfect and exactly what you want. It's just not the way people in relationships work. Hmm. Uh, lastly, you know, this is something, you know, maybe uh, related to a engaged marriage or, or a love marriage, you can say, or no marriage, you're living <laughs> together and then eventually you decide to marry. So, you know, the, the question is, does knowing someone deeply before marriage, as often argued, guarantee a happily ever after marriage? Or does it guarantee to have a strong and unbreakable uh, marriage? Is, is it something which guarantees you or uh, it's not? 
I think the answer to that is obviously not. <laughs> I mean, just look at uh, look at what's going on in our culture and our society, mm. where um, you know marriage rates are at, marriage failure rates are at an all time high, and yet the degree to which people know each other, spend time with each other, and even live with each other before the marriage is also at an all time high. Mm. So it's it's pretty clear. Uh, just in the data, that there is absolutely no correlation between the depth of knowing somebody uh, and the long-term success of the hmm. Now, of course, that raises a really like that raises a lot of fascinating questions. Which is, well, why is that? I mean, why isn't there that correlation? It's not intuitive that there. It's really it's more intuitive that there would be a correlation there, but in fact, there's not. Um, and it kind of har- you know harkens back to what we were discussing earlier, which is that, you know the key to succeeding in marriage is not so much knowing knowing the person you're marrying as much as is knowing how to love in a marriage, how to act and behave in a marriage. Hmm. Um, so uh, so that's a, it's a fascinating question. And, and by the way, we could we could go to town and have a whole long conversation about what that, what that means then for the dating experience pre-marriage. What, what in fact is the purpose of dating? What, what are we trying to accomplish there? Hmm. And, and what are we not trying to accomplish? Most of the world thinks I'm dating. Well, first of all, there's a whole group of people that are dating with no intention of getting married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? their, their goal and their intent is just to have fun. Okay, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's put those aside for a second. Um, but even those that are dating to get married, what, what are they looking for in that dating experience? What, how are they using the dating experience and what are they trying to get out of it? So many people are so misguided in this, thinking that what I need to do is try to somehow come to this deep, deep knowledge of the person that I'm dating in order to determine uh, whether or not this is, you know, the right one to go forward with in marriage. And I think that's very misguided. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's the life after marriage that counts. I mean, it doesn't really matter how long you've known someone or if you've lived on someone or not. The marriage that you do, the life after, you have to adopt yourself with, you know, uh, you know, with the habits and the thinking and all that, so you have to make your marriage work to change yourself. Thank you very much, Mortferto, um, uh, for your uh, you know wise advice uh, for answering our questions as well, and, and especially thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. So this was a Mortferto. Um, a author, creator of Marriage Fitness Program, um, and he has a international reputation for saving marriages. Um, well, Sophie, very interesting uh, discussions we had indeed, and it it, it's, it goes all uh, with Islam, isn't it? Um, you know, it's, I mean, Islam is something that teaches you to be patient and you know do not have any unlawful or any relationship before your 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 wedding or before your marriage and be patient have you know treat your spouse 
the same way like you should treat yourself or you know look at your own mistakes first and then you know and try to change it uh, don't try to change others but try, try to change yourself to have a more successful you know wedding isn't it so yeah um the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him you know once said uh, that marriage is a part of my sunnah and whoever does not follow my sunnah has nothing to do with me so it's a a sunnah sunnah means a tradition or uh, the lifestyle of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him which means that anyone who doesn't you know want to get married or and 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 says that i am a muslim is not truly a muslim because he's not following the lifestyle of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him and this is the best way to have a successful relationship with your spouse to get married you know sadly there is a stigma in our community uh, in the communities that puts pressure on women to sacrifice their emotional and physical well-being for the good of others and the pressure to get married and stay married goes beyond the individual you know growing up you know as a woman um you know it's sometimes it, it's you know you're pressurized um and you're pressurized just to say yes but you know you should you know uh the parents or the, the those who are getting married they should have their own saying and they should eventually decide who they're going to be with and eventually when they are with someone with their own choice they should you know stick with them and they should try to change their habits or change their lifestyle according to the desires of the opposite uh, you know of the spouse of your partner and islam does not allow a guardian a, a parent to force the choice of their children and the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him you know has reported to have said that the widow shall not be married until she is consulted and the virgin shall not be married until her consent is obtained professor benzif the world's leading expert and founder of the european european philosophical society for the study of emotion states that pre uh, marital cohabitation is associated with increased risk of divorce a lower quality of marriage poor marital communication the higher level of domestic violence now <coughs> we i and um, you know uh, brother safir were discussing about chastity as well with you know or, or being modest is something which you know protects your marriages as well um and, and chastity is an essential part uh, for achieving the purpose of our creation the purpose uh, of being um of of worshiping god almighty and this happens through complete submission and 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 the marriage is a means of you know preserving one's chastity now um uh, brother safir what is it that the west today uh, have to change in order to have successful marriages in order to have successful families of in order to you know the, the children not to have been heartbroken because of this splitting of their parents or not knowing the the father sometimes and the mother sometimes 
when single mothers or single fathers have to take care. So what is it that the West can do? I think it's not just the West. It's generally Gen- yeah. the world, right? Not, mm-hmm. not just the West. We, we know that there are similar issues in, uh, you know, in, in Asia as well as in some so-called Muslim countries as well. I mean, people in general um, are intoxicated with self-pleasing addictions. Social media is a big um, contributor to that, uh, where people are constantly just focusing on the um, outer, you know, uh, appearance or beauty. And the talk of uh, chastity today or modesty is uh, kind of forgotten and uh, only very few people, uh, I would say, if you compare it to the rest of the world, uh, do care about, you know, modesty. Uh, there are Muslims and, of course, uh, other people as well who who are modest and they try to live their lives like that. There are, in fact, many people. But if you look at it from a general perspective, from how the world is today, then mm. it is not, you know, something that's looking good. I mean, this, mm. this misery has, this evil has overtaken uh, and there seems to be, um, you know, spreading very fast as well. And um, the, the main thing is, of course, if if we want to have uh, happy homes, if we wa- want to have peace in our, our homes, if we want to have a successful uh, relationships, successful marriages, then we have to, uh, you know, understand the concept of modesty. And I think there is no religion other than Islam that, uh, you know, properly explains and uh, educates us when it comes to modesty mm. and also when it comes to patience because that's another thing that people have less of in today's world as our previous guest also mentioned about this um, consumerism uh, ideology where we can just replace uh, everything and people tend to lose the um, the value of uh, of the relationship that they can build or, mm. or things that they can if they want to. So again, that goes for both men and women. Um, uh, as Islam beautifully has explained that if men keep their eyes down and the women keep their eyes down and both act righteously, so righteousness and taqwa again is, is lacking. If both of them act righteously, yeah. then... Uh, we'll be able to see healthy relationships and lasting marriages as well. Mm, because um, if taqwa is there, if, if we fear Allah the Almighty, Allah the Almighty is always watching us, yep. then we will uh, you know, discharge our responsibilities in our relationships as well. Mm, thank you. We have our second guest for today, Tanya Hussain, who um, is waiting to speak to us. Um, she is a wife, a mother, and a proud grandmother as well, um, who runs her own business, um, humbly working in service also for the Lajna Imaila USA, the Women's Association of the Ahmadi Muslim Community in the USA. Um, thank you very much for uh, connecting and and and, and uh, being with us here, Tanya Hussain. Um, assalamu alaikum and peace be upon you. Waalaikum salam, jazakallah for for having me Jazakallah for um, you know giving your time um, what successful family values should Muslim parents practice as you your, yourself is a, uh, you're a Muslim um, now 
what uh, practices should the parents have uh, or do to raise their kids in the Western society as it has a different value, different, uh, you know, it's, it's very different than the Islamic teachings, of course. Oh, uh, in the Islamic teachings, I think, first of all, um, every marriage should start out um, with many, many prayers for its success. Um, and when when you're starting a family, uh, there you should always uh, do the uh, dua of Prophet Zachariah, mm-hmm. uh, which is, My Lord, grant me, grant me from thy self pure offspring. So that should always be the, the dua that you should start a family with um, and have those intentions set. Uh, family should not be started just uh, haphazardly. It should be started with the intention of bringing into this world a pious, uh, a pious uh, children, and um, uh, um, uh, with lots and lots and lots of duas and prayers from everybody that's going to support uh, children. And I'm, I don't mean support as in financially support but support as in a village to support bring them up. The parents, the grandparents, the, you know, khalas, khal, mamus, pupas, everybody that's joining together to uh, bring the, the child up um, in, in the Islamic way. Hmm. In your opinion, what are the uh, fundamental responsibilities of a parent in regards to helping their children to recognize the importance of safeguarding chastity? So parents, I feel parents, first of all, um, should be an example for their children. Um, they, are the, they are the ones that, uh, whether they realize it or not, are the ones their children are emulating on a daily basis. And uh, so if, if the parents, themselves are leading a good life and are showing an, an exemplary life, then the children will, will follow. In, inshallah, eventually they will follow. The other thing as far as chastity, um, teaching, children how to, teaching children how to respect themselves. Hmm. I believe that is key. Uh, in Islam as well, um, Holy Prophet, peace be upon him has said respect your children Hmm. respect what they say play on their level and if you're respecting your child not uh, calling them names uh, listening to them teaching Hmm. them to respect themselves and respect their bodies and respect um, the space for their bodies they eventually will learn the concept of chastity Hmm. Uh, it's it's um, it's a very big thing now in the West and even uh, in the East um, that that children that get into uh, early um, promiscuity it's because they don't have self-respect hmm. and this is something that Islam has has bred into us and we unfortunately. Um, don't, uh, um, are not, I, I should say, are not, um, sometimes we're not adhering to that. I, I believe that's 
a cornerstone for Pastor Pete. Hmm. Sorry, that's my granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> She's with me. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, it, it looks like she wants to talk as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, as parents, uh, how can we help our children to recognize and, and, and look for a marriage material qualities in a person uh, uh, not to be blown away by superficial traits? So um, I believe all of our um, our khutbahs <laughs> are telling us to look for, uh, not to look for superficial, to look for uh, beyond that, to look for someone who is pious. Hmm. And Alhamdulillah, uh, we do have that in our in our jamaat, and uh, there uh, th- that should be the first thing we look for, hmm. uh, to look for piety in a spouse, to look for. Um, for education in a spouse, um, look for those virtues. Um, parents should have these conversations with their children from a very young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and and in my house, I have three sons, and Alhamdulillah, so far so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we we had these conversations early on. Um, you know, I had them with my boys and. Um, and I would, you know, talk to them about uh, the right girls and what makes the right girl. It's not that they didn't look for superficial. Uh, obviously, they talked about that. But then eventually we would uh, lead the conversation back to what kind of mother do you want for your children? Because that was always important. Hmm. And they always came back to uh, the, the traits of a mother and what they wanted. And that was very different to uh, the superficial hmm. so if you if you break it down to that level uh, they 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 want the mother to be pious they want the mother to teach their children the Islamic values they want their mother the mother to uh, to live an Islamic uh, life hmm. and uh, that can they understand that that can be very different from the superficial hmm. Thank you very much uh, for your answers, uh, Tanya Hassan, um, and thank you very much for your uh, for your time as well. And uh, I hope you'll have a, a great day with your uh, grandchildren. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Um, thank you, and hopefully we'll have you um, sometime uh, in future as well. Thank you very much. Jazakallah <laughs> very much. Thank you. Thank you. So this was uh, Tanya Hassan, a wife, a mother, and uh, definitely a proud grandmother. Um, we have uh, our last and final caller for today, Imam Sayyid Adil Ahmed, who is a Murbi Silsila, an imam um, from Dallas, USA. Uh, is waiting to speak to us. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Thank you very much, um, Imam Said for joining us today. Um, now, as as you know, we are you know discussing in this hour uh, about marriage. So, what is mm-hmm. the true purpose of marriage in Islam? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, sorry for the rumble in the background. I'm just in the car at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is something that we can uh, easily understand from the Holy Quran itself. That's our source of guidance. And uh, the way that God Almighty describes 
married, married individual, that gives us an indication uh, what exactly is marriage, what, what the purpose is. So in one verse, a uh, very famous verse of the Holy Quran, Allah Almighty says that couples, spouses, they are a libas for one another. They are clothing and covering hmm. for each other. What the purpose of, of clothing is, is to cover you, is to cover your vulnerabilities. It's to make you appear presentable in, uh, uh, in front of the world. And, uh, you know, another function is to serve as a protection, especially when it's cold or during bad weather. You wear clothing to, to take care of your body or, um, and etc. And, uh, you know, another understanding of the purpose of marriage, we, you know, similar along with what's been mentioned, is that when Allah Almighty describes a married um, individual in the Holy Quran, he uses the word muhsin, and for women he calls them muhsanat, and men a muhsin. And uh, the translation doesn't do justice. It, it's just translated as a, as a righteous man, uh, a wife or husband. Um, but uh, the root of the word lets us know what, what really is going on. And uh, the root of this word is hissin. Hissin in Arabic means a fortress. Um, and it, 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 the verb means to give protection, uh, to be protected, or to be, uh, uh, to be un- uh, you know, inaccessible. Mm-hmm. So a Muslim, we translate it as a married woman or a man, or a righteous man or woman, but really it means somebody who was protected, somebody who's in a fortress. So these two, uh, uh, you know, points let us know what the purpose of marriage. It is actually protection in an overall sense. It's actually a safety net that is provided to us by God Almighty. And that safety net is, is not just simply um, for, you know, like a physical safety net so that we have an outlet for our desires, but, uh, you know, a, a spiritual safety net, a mental safety net, uh, um, a financial uh, safety net for the, for the married couple, uh, but also for the progeny that comes out of uh, this married uh, couple as well. It's a safety net for them as well. There's multiple studies I'm sure have been mentioned mm. uh, that uh, children who grow up in stable families are protected from a number, number of societal ills and deviances. And one of the easiest uh, predictors of somebody who will grow up, you know, perhaps a bit more inclined towards crime or, uh, making bad decisions in life. One of the easiest predictors is an unstable family, or the, you know, growing up in a single-parent household. So that's basically what marriage is. It is there to protect the individual. It is there, to, um, uh, the children. It is there to protect the family. And um, if each family unit does marriage properly, then uh, it has the umbrella effect, and society as a whole is is kept intact. Hmm. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, the people fear to choose. The wrong person, you know, they've got the fearing of, of choosing a wrong person to marry, and they leave, uh, you know, many perplexed and results in uh, delaying to get married or choosing uh, because then they think they're not ready or, you know, they yeah. they they have uh, you know doubts, etc., etc. So, what guidance does Islam provide in this matter? Well, look, uh, you know, it's, it's Islam is uh, a religion is very realistic and very straightforward. It, the guidance has given us to Allah Almighty. He knows what we truly and actually need. And uh, you know, as has been mentioned, there there are desires and things that we look into. Uh, but really, what we have to look into is the the, the spiritual and moral development, mm. moral uh, character of somebody that we're looking into getting married. So while and 
of course, attached to that, this means that in this process, we have to rely on Allah Almighty alone. And I'll, um, you know, I'm just going to echo what, what the previous uh, speaker said as well, that we can't predict the future. We don't know what's going to happen, mm. what direction our uh, life is going to take in. So in this process of uncertainty, we have to rely on Allah Almighty and we have to turn uh, we have to turn towards him for guidance and if we do that then uh, you know if we do it with the right intention and sincerity that I want to get married to develop a relationship with God Almighty then uh, you know for sure Allah Almighty will, will lean in our way and development of our spirituality is something that starts from the very early age we can't decide that okay now at 28 or at 30 or at 35 now I'll decide to get married and start this new phase of life uh, you know, progress is something that starts from the very beginning. At seven years old is when we have to start offering our, our five daily prayers. So, you know, delaying marriage is actually delaying your ability to progress and develop as a spiritual mm. and, 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 and moral human being. Mm. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Imam Sayyid Adil. Um, I wish I, I could have you for longer, but... You know, we're, we're top of the hour now and our show is about to finish in a few minutes. Thank you very much for your time. Um, hopefully we'll have you in future as well and uh, hopefully we could have some more time from you. Thank you very much. Jazakallah. So this was Imam Sayyid Adil Ahmed, a Murbi Silsila, a Imam uh, uh, from Dallas, USA. Now in today's um, you know society, teenage pregnancies are on rising. Rape youth suicides and runaways are on the rise. Adultery, divorce and broken homes are very common in Islam. In, uh, in Very common. The Islam is the one religion that provides the only logical and sensible answer to all these problems. And we've spoken to experts as well and they, were, and they agreed with the Islamic teachings. And, and you know, it, this is the way forward um, and and if we truly follow the teachings of Islam, we'll see that we'll find success in our marriages, and that's with being chased, having fear of God Almighty, and you know have patience as well with your spouse. Um, um, I would like to thank our producers for today, Sarah Malik and Farah Mirza, and also um, our tech team, Akib Ahmed, for today's show, uh, for their hard work. Uh, thank you very much for, to all of them, and hopefully you had a interesting uh, topic that you've listened. Thank you.